those smart contracts are a lot simpler than what we saw with the DAO. And the way we've constructed them with the mean and others is so generic that we may be at a point where we have what's effectively like an ERC-20 standard for organizations. I'm Zach Seward. How you doing? Uh, I'm a managing editor here at Coindesk. Thank you so much for joining us on this experimental edition of Coindesk Live. We are doing this in the lead up to our consensus distributed event next month, May 11th through 15th specifically. And we thought it'd be great to spend a little bit more time in the lead up to that big event with uh, some of our honored panelists and speakers. This is episode number two of our lockdown edition of Coindesk Live. And we're just going to have some fun with it here. We're going to talk to uh, some great folks working in the Ethereum ecosystem, specifically with the startup OpenLaw. I'm joined now by Priyanka Desai, who's a VP of Operations, and Aaron Wright, who's the co-founder and CEO of OpenLaw. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's good that you're here. It's good that you're here. We're doing the Zoom thing, so it's like, hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I think everyone's good. Sweet. First of all, I mean, just, yeah, where in the world are you? Aaron, where are you? Introduce, uh, introduce our audience, so how you're coping during this uh, time of lockdown, and uh, tell us where you are and, and what you're up to. Thanks so much, Zach, for having us. We really appreciate it. Love uh, Consensus. It's uh, obviously one of the, the best blockchain events. Um, it's uh, sad that we don't get to do it in person this year, but I think you guys are doing a great job. So I'm in Brooklyn, New York, even though the news says that things are pretty bad and in, in many parts they are, uh, we're holding up okay and everybody is doing great. Cool. And Pri, how you doing? Good, good, good. I'm normally in Brooklyn, but decided to flee to Florida, USA. So we're here in the Sunshine State and the beaches are probably going to be open soon. So that's where we're at. That's good. That's good. Well, stay away from those rowdy Floridians. You know, they, they like, they don't. Hard to hear one of them. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm in Pennsylvania, which is uh, where I'm located per, uh, usually as well. So uh, outside of Philadelphia, come to you live. So Aaron, let's start with you. Um, if you could just like, first of all, introduce Open Law and then introduce this concept of the Lao and your particular twist on making DAOs work. Open law is a way that bridges the real world with, um, with blockchain-based ecosystems. We are able to take traditional legal agreements, uh, which define rights and obligations, um, and make them enforceable in courts and give effect to all these amazing assets that we're seeing created, distributed, transferred, structured on Ethereum and other blockchain-based ecosystems. And, you know, I've been in this space for quite some time. I was fortunate enough to play a small role helping to launch Ethereum. I worked with a lot of great projects over the, the past couple of years. And from the beginning, particularly in the Ethereum ecosystem, we viewed Ethereum as not only uh, a way uh, in which to create assets and transfer them, but as a way to get a whole bunch of different people online, coordinating, uh, working together to build organizations that can help push forward society and also spur a whole bunch of innovation. The first real major experiment in that regard was a project called the DAO, which I'm sure many folks that are uh, watching or attending uh, are very familiar with. And it was a spectacular failure, right? Uh, I don't, it exceeded all expectations. It blew people's minds, this concept that you could actually uh, begin to build a Silicon Valley in the sky. But it also failed and created a whole host of drama that really fed into uh, lots of different uh, camps on, uh, in the blockchain ecosystem. In our minds, it in many ways uh, resembled Mt. Gox for the Bitcoin ecosystem, 
in the sense that it was spectacular, right? Mt. Gox was an incredible exchange, but from the US's uh, perspective, it was set up in a slightly weird jurisdiction uh, and it had a number of security issues, a little bit like the Dow. And we've seen over the past, you know, eight, nine, 10 years, exchanges like Mt. Gox become legitimized through the efforts of Coinbase and, and Kraken and a whole host of other uh, exchanges, we think the same thing is going to happen with DAOs, right? We had this kind of Wild West version of a DAO it, uh, with the DAO itself. Uh, and what we're trying to do and what we're doing and launching on April 28th is uh, a DAO, a DAO that, uh, that complies with U.S. law. And we think that this is a big deal. We think that one of the core use cases for blockchain technology, and in particular Ethereum, is capital formation. We saw that with the DAO. We saw that with the token boom and ICO boom of 2016, 17, and 18. And so billions of dollars being raised for projects, many of which were great and some of which were not so great. And to us, that's a core use case of, of Ethereum and blockchain technology, a lot like how the core use case of the internet is e-commerce, right? We've seen many permutations of e-commerce with the internet. And I think that DAOs are kind of in the next chapter of capital formation uh, in the blockchain ecosystem. And it's pretty exciting. I like the descriptor of, you know, venture capital firm in the sky. And you talk about capital formation, obviously, being a primary use case here. I'm going to jump over to Pre. I'm really interested in some of the more, um, you know, more novel, more curious applications that you guys are thinking through when it comes to DAOs, right? You're able to assemble all these people into some sort of unit under this nice legal wrapper that makes it all sing. Outside of being like a, you know, a virtual venture fund, what are some cool things that you guys are considering this technology might be used for? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's what exactly like what I feel like I've tried to spend a lot of time on just thinking through, looking at the traditional VC model, seeing what's worked for them. I mean, you have like really great operations like Y Combinator and, and others, uh, other kind of startup incubators and kind of trying to adapt that to this like decentralized venture capital structure that we're creating. So just in thinking that through, we, we have a few things that we've launched um, or at least have talked about launching. Um, one such thing is this mentor portal that we've actually announced. Uh, we have upwards of 20 or so great um, mentors all in the Ethereum ecosystem that are all going to support projects that are funded by the Lao. So basically, once a project is voted on by the Lao members, the projects themselves can head to what we're describing as like a mentor program where they can then seek specific individuals, whether that be a one-off um, marketing campaign, for example, they could reach out to have help with that. They could seek a more official advisor relationship, meaning they could have equity kicked over to the advisor or mentor in return for their advisement. Or it could really just be pro bono mentorship from some of these Lao mentors. So we've announced that. And we're also thinking about incorporating this idea of personal tokens as well. So having like a private Uniswap exchange for mentors to allocate their time through tokens is another idea we're thinking there just to kind of have an ecosystem supporting some of the projects. And in addition to that, today we launched, uh, launched something called Lao Scout, where the general crypto Twitter ecosystem can nominate projects that they think deserve funding or that they see a lot of promise and potential with. So, um, by just, I think it's at the Lao Scout bot, let's get started. You'll get an automatic Twitter DM where you can nominate the projects. Um, and there's a whole leaderboard showing which projects are ranked the highest. So in a way you're like crowdsourcing deal flow uh, in a really decentralized network way. So there's a few support um, systems that we're, we're definitely using outside of just the straight up financing of these projects. And 
I actually was just talking to Aaron this week about possibly um, including like a, a little bit of a blog. Um, I'm sure you caught the uh, Mark Andreessen post, like the let's build post. I forgot what the actual title is, but um, I thought it'd be kind of interesting to have like founder stories on there. So um, we're, we're thinking about possibly also incorporating a media element to it too. So there's a lot of great ideas that we have and I think kind of recreating the current model, but also trying to find novel ways that fit into our decentralized structure. Yeah, I mean, the concept's building a network, right? Uh, we've seen kind of networks eat uh, away at media and really transform them. We see networks, you know, transform the way people decide where they want to stay with places like Airbnb. And I, I do think the big hope and promise for Web3 and blockchain technology is just bootstrapping more networks. And the ultimate network that needs to be opened up is Silicon Valley. It shouldn't matter where you live. If you want to receive funding for your project, you shouldn't have to be in the Bay Area, although that's a wonderful part of the globe. Uh, we miss a lot of great entrepreneurs in terms of allocating them out capital and building out a network around that is, uh, I think, really interesting and important and a part of what I think the ethos of DAOs are. You know, thinking about other DAOs that can exist, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot of things that we've seen today. I think it's going to, we're going to see DAOs that pull together capital for purposes of providing insurance or other basic market infrastructure. We're going to see DAOs that get pulled together to begin to support creative works in different ways. There's an incredible project called Pool Together that basically allocates out interest that's earned on digital assets to folks for a lottery. Well, why can't that be provided to a creative worker so that they can create an album, make some music, record a video, write an article? So I think that there's a lot in the media space uh, and creative areas. And then I think we're just going to start to see, like we've seen with blockchain, just these emergent things that we couldn't predict just because you're pushing together so many different people and not just arming them um, with connections, but arming them with actual dollars. Um, and I think when, or Ether or whatever crypto asset, but arming them with some form of value to begin to own their craft or build things is tremendously important. I think the last area that we're also focused in on is using DAOs, not just to provide funding through like a, a venture-ish like uh, mechanism, but also for the projects themselves to begin to fund uh, and raise capital. So instead of, let's say, doing a token sale like people did in 2016, 17, and 18, projects that really do want to build decentralized, open-source, token-based networks uh, have the possibility of using a DAO structure to do that. Uh, so folks that want to support the project can pledge capital. They can pull it back anytime they want, and they can you know, provide that capital to developers to build something that hopefully everybody can use and enjoy. So I think, I think it's, a, it's a huge playing field, and I think that's what's so exciting. Uh, I think that's why you see so many folks in the Ethereum ecosystem really enamored with DAOs as they happened from the beginning, but increasingly enamored with it. And the tech's all there now, which is, which is pretty incredible. I want to stick with you, Aaron. I mean, obviously, you have a strong legal background, and I think people clearly are, like, clamoring for vehicles to participate in investments of this nature, right? Oftentimes that hasn't lined up with existing regulatory frameworks and structures, specifically around accredited investors, non-accredited investors, investor protections really that make sure people don't get hosed in the markets. How do you square that stuff with what you're building with the Lao? Who is this open to at launch next week? You know, as we talk about this sort of like uh, democratized vision for how people participate in both assembling funds and deploying them, how do you get to that everyone can play ball here and hopefully do so in a, in a safe and responsible way. Like, like, what are some of the regulatory and legal frameworks that you guys are thinking through to make sure this works? So to the question, you know, the, the LAO itself, at least initially, is only going to be open to accredited investors. 
we think that the interests in the lab itself are not securities and thus should be able to be bought, uh, purchased, traded, and sold by anyone. But I don't think the regulators are there yet. Uh, right. So the, in the abundance of caution, uh, at least if you're in the U.S., it's limited to credit investors. For folks that are not in the U.S., uh, there'll be a Reg S offering, which means that you don't necessarily need to be an accredited investor, but you need to provide basic information like you would for an exchange so we can know and uh, get a sense of who you are. But this is the beginning. This is why we like the Coinbase analogy. Coinbase started with Bitcoin. It dotted I's and crossed T's so that people could buy, uh, sell, and trade Bitcoin. And today, there's a number of assets that everybody in the U.S. and, you know, frankly, I think in large part because of Coinbase's efforts, uh, people around the globe can uh, trade. We think it's the same thing for organizations. Our vision is really this vision of global permissionless organizations that have not just a hundred or a couple hundred people working together, but thousands, if not tens of thousands. And I think it's going to take a couple steps to get there, but we need to take that first step, right? We need to jump off the ledge a little bit. We need to start experimenting with this technology, make sure it works, make sure it drives value, and then we can block and tackle our way to this broader vision. And I think that's the responsible thing to do. I think that hits the right tone given uh, the regulatory climate today. And I think it's critically important, particularly in this age when venture capital is gonna probably pull back uh, to continue to support the tremendous entrepreneurs that we have in the Ethereum and blockchain-based ecosystems. And that's also a goal. You know, We think DAOs are useful, not just for Ethereum, but uh, we have dreams of setting up Bitcoin DAOs. Uh, we have dreams of setting up you know, Chainlink DAOs. Um, and really for any protocol or project in the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, that can be supported, uh, we think a DAO uh, should be a part of that. Got it. And going back to Pre, so like with this product, like the Laos Scout that you guys launched, is that a way for anyone to sort of get involved in sort of finding interesting opportunities in the space? I mean, I, I, like, I don't have to have a ton of money to like play around in the Laos Scout, right? Like that's how I get involved in democratizing the distribution of capital. Is that the idea? Right. And kind of what Aaron mentioned earlier. So obviously the Lao itself is limited to, at this point, accredited investors, which as he mentioned, it's like the safe, safe route at, at this point in time. And we want to be very careful about how we do things. But this, I think, Laos Scout specifically is a way for really anyone to get involved. You know, a lot of venture capitals have tremendous networks. They have founders from various projects they, they invest in, their own network um, in, in different cities. However, a lot of folks in the crypto ecosystem, um, I mean, they might not have a ton of followers or they might just be really dedicated and really online all the time on Reddit and others and really can spot really amazing projects early. And that, that's really what this is for. Um, I mean, I think all of us can agree. I mean, more or less, if you're on crypto Twitter as, you know, as much as I am, maybe you too, Zach, I, I know we're both on it quite a bit. Extremely logged on for yeah, the most part, very unfortunately. Uh, especially in this era of uh, quarantine, I'm basically always on Twitter. So I kind of get a, an inkling of what projects are going to be successful early on. A lot of people will start, you know, at, at least in our open law Slack, we'll start talking about projects really early, oftentimes before others have talked about it uh, more broadly on crypto Twitter. So this really is an opportunity for people to nominate those projects, put them on the leaderboard and really draw the members of the Lao's attention to it. And not only that, it also kind of incentivizes some of these projects to apply for funding. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, if you're an early project, you can get funded pretty quickly. And as Aaron mentioned as well, this is a pretty tough climate. Um, a lot of people are pulling, a lot of v traditional VC are pulling back, especially in crypto and blockchain in this time. So it's really an opportunity to 
get your name out there and, and get members' attention. So um, it really can be anyone. So anyone with a Twitter account can participate in this. And, and same goes for the mentor portal. If you're interested in becoming a mentor or feel like you have some sort of skill set that you can provide some of these projects, uh, we're happy to include you. So this is really for non-accredited or accredited folks, really anyone. Yeah, I mean, for folks who are watching, like, what's the best way? And, you know, folks who probably have certain skills, uh, what's the best way to get in touch should they want to be involved in the mentor pro mentor portal or other things but that yeah. you guys are doing? I would join our Telegram, which you can through the loud.io and then find one of us and just DM us on Telegram. That Telegram link should be on our website. So all right, sounds good. And we'll get you involved. That's interesting. So you guys are sort of on the front lines of seeing a lot of emerging projects in the decentralized uh, ecosystem. Aaron, specifically, like any cool ones that have come to mind, like cool stuff that's coming across your radar that, again, is some of those early indicators of cool things that are happening on these networks and that may one day be funded by a project like the Lao. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a number of great projects that we're seeing and are beginning to apply. I think we have like 20 or so that have already applied for funding. We imagine that's probably will be 30 or so by the time of launch. Um, I mean, the things that I'm the most interested in, at least right now, is still some core infrastructure. I love privacy, preserving technology, you know, stuff like Tornado Cash, things that I think may be difficult for traditional venture capitalists to fund for a variety of reasons, uh, but are critically important to preserve financial freedom and also to accelerate uh, the adoption of blockchain technology. So that's one in particular that I just think is absolutely spectacular. But I think, you know, to Priest's point before about personal tokens, we're seeing a lot of innovation there. Lots of projects, lots of folks are thinking about how to tokenize not just companies or open source networks, but actual individuals. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see some investments or some opportunities there. And then obviously we're seeing, a, we've seen a tremendous uh, amount of interest in NFTs continue. As ETH 2.0 looks a little bit more ready uh, and as we're beginning to see you know, lots of interesting applications in the gaming ecosystem, I think we'll continue to see some interesting projects there. And then I, I would say the last area where I'm particularly focused and would love to see projects is just abstracting away wallets in some capacity or just getting rid of some of the UX hurdles. And I think that wallet abstraction is, is something that is going to be really important. And whoever nails that, uh, I think it'll become a, a pretty important and successful project. And last, I would say insurance. I, I just think you can't have efficient markets without insurance. It's not the most exciting thing to talk about, but it's really important. I think seeing the past couple of days, DeFi protocols run into issues and insurance and auditing and, and those types of you know, downside risk mitigators are, are really important. And I'm, I'm hoping we see more, more of that. And I think we will too. Yeah, I think like from the BZX hack to the DeForce thing, you know, those products are going to be increasingly important as more DeFi protocols capture attention, users and money. The one that really made it pop for me, speaking of the personalized tokens, was that uh, that Saint Fame uh, DAO, the Fashion House DAO. And I remember when we were covering that story that like, the designer of this t-shirt was being compensated in his own personal token, right? So he was able to tokenize his labor and be uh, compensated as such for con uh, contributing design services to this decentralized fashion house that was producing this crazy t-shirt. And now, uh, now COVID masks. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting one that, that, that popped to mind. You get dynamic pricing, right? Uh, so we yeah. have scarce goods. So it really becomes a question of how do you price it? And I think mm -hmm. uh, some of the crypto economic systems like what same fame is implemented are super cool uh, and probably have a broad range of applications. Yeah, you know, the innovation hasn't stopped just because, just because we're in this and just because uh, some of the token sales have slowed down. Yeah, I mean, I think it is when you think about like sort of the, 
the next big opportunity, right? Like if you look at the evolution of the crypto space over time, you know, like token sales were this thing that existed in a different era and, um, you know, DeFi has emerged as this sort of new emergent technology, especially in the Ethereum ecosystem. It really does seem to some observers that DAOs are primed to that next sort of thing, right? That promises people participation in these networks in a way that could offer meaningful and substantial returns. So I'm just very curious about some of the implications of that, right? Like, how do you how do you make sure that people are participating in this in a way that avoids some of like the centralizing forces that lead to the problems that exist in the current venture capital world, especially with the initial sort of complicating factor around in the U.S. at least being an accredited investor. So I think this is like a long-winded way way of saying like, how are you guys selling your story, right? Like, what are you finding is resonating with people? I don't know if this is a pre-question or an errant question, but when you talk about this thing that you guys are rolling out in a matter of days. What is piquing people's interest the most when you talk about the Lao? Well, I feel like for one, really just to get right down to the chase, it this is really great for it's it's not only great for projects because they don't have to do the whole like sand hill jog as I like to call it, but it's also and they can get funding like very easily, not easily obviously, but it, it it's faster and you don't necessarily need to go to San Francisco every, you know, two weeks for meetings. But it's also great for mentors as well. Most venture capital funds, um, the LPs end up actually paying uh, a carry, which is like a 20% on profits to the firm itself. Whereas here, there is no carry. Uh, they get to pocket all of the profit of the fund. So I think from that perspective, I think that resonates a lot with potential members of allow i don't know about you Aaron. i feel like that one is a big selling point and not only that it's just like the operational efficiency of it and the ability to rage quit i think is another big one i think it's this broad vision right we know that the world is becoming increasingly global despite what's happening now and we know that in many ways it's if you're an entrepreneur and you're not based in certain corridors in the u.s you're kind of out of luck you have to move it's incredibly disruptive and much like with the internet, where we saw you know, streaming commerce, streaming video, I think with blockchain technology, we've seen the power of streaming money, uh, streaming assets, whether that's Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, and that means that we have an opportunity to build a Silicon Valley in the sky, one that's not uh, limited to jurisdictions, one that's uh, hopefully more open and participatory, uh, one where maybe if you're not able to uh, contribute, at least in the short term, you can still uh, support uh, and promote and help projects that you believe in. And I think that that just uh, fits squarely with so many trends on the internet, from the passion economy to user-generated content uh, to a whole whole host of other trends. And, you know, frankly, when I got into Ethereum, it was in reaction to the fact that I thought that the financial system was a bit rotten. And I think that we've seen over the past decade that parts of Silicon Valley are a little bit rotten too. Uh, and if we have an opportunity to, to improve that collectively and point towards a future that is more open, is more fair, uh, is more participatory, I, I think we can all look back and say that this was uh, well worth it. So that's why I know personally I've been very interested in blockchain technology from the beginning. And that's why I think that this is incredibly important uh, infrastructure to support and continue to build. And I think if we can do it in a responsible way, like Coinbase uh, responsibly built exchanges, then we can make the arguments to the powers that be to open this up and build these you know, incredible organizations with you know, hundreds of thousands of people who barely know each other uh, in the real world, but are connected in the digital world and are working together. I think that's 
super exciting. Hey, Priya, I'm going to go back to you. You threw out one of my favorite technical terms in the Ethereum space, which is rage quit, which is a, a real life term that is used in, I think MolecDAO was the first yeah. one to popularize it. Explain rage quit and why that's a really cool feature of participating in the DAO. Yeah, so it's awesome. Um, this was developed by the uh, Moloch smart contracts, um, MolecDAO, and we've extended that in our uh, smart contracts as well. So it's a, a fork of the Moloch V2. So the idea with rage quit is really um, if you are a member and you've pulled, you know, 120 ETH, um, you're not necessarily happy with the way the fund is going, or you'd just rather take that capital in and put it to work somewhere else. Um, you're able to what's called rage quit. So you can leave any undeployed capital and leave the fund and someone else can come take your place in that fund. So it allows for, allows for a very fluid structure. So people can really just come and go as they please. So it, it's, it's a little bit different than traditional VC. You really get a lot of flexibility and it's, it's pretty awesome. And that's a little bit different than the way it happens today. So if you join a fund, there's always going to be differences, but often as you pledge your capital or you agree to pledge capital, and if you decide to leave, you lose everything. But here, because we can stream in money um, and the smart contracts can keep track of everything, they can basically um, understand who owns what and who made certain, uh, certain decisions towards investments. You can account for their pro rata portion of any profits. But let's say you're unhappy with the way things are going, you can pull back out your capital and redeploy it. The Lao is denominated in ETH. So let's say ETH increases dramatically in value, which obviously some people are, are betting on. Well, maybe you want to uh, limit your exposure uh, to allow. You want to take some of that ETH and deploy it somewhere else. You have the ability to do that with a couple clicks of a button. And I think this is what is exciting, right? You have this hyper-efficient funding mechanism that blockchains can provide, streaming in money, pulling money back out, and deploying it to folks that, that may need it. And that's just not feasible today. So this is why we think at their core, blockchain technology will present you know, a 10x, if not more, improvement over the way organizations are, are managed. And using the tools like we developed at OpenLaw, we can automate a lot of the legal documents on the back end. So it's all papered up appropriately or as best as we can do it. And that's just great. That means that projects can uh, apply, a member of the LAO can nominate them, and funding can be delivered within days. I mean, that's incredibly fast. Venture capital funds are just not that agile. And frankly, venture capital funds have largely missed a lot of the innovation in the blockchain ecosystem. You know, Bitcoin wasn't backed by traditional VC. Ethereum not, wasn't backed by traditional VC and a lot of other great projects. So uh, we think we have a real opportunity here to continue that. I want to talk about a really boring word that's really interesting, which is governance. And um, especially like the more I cover this space and the more I like dig into DeFi specifically with like MakerDAO and how these uh, DeFi protocols are, are governed. There's not a ton of participation in some of these governance decisions as it relates to these big giant platforms that have a ton of ETH locked in them. What are you looking to as an example, be it a positive one or a negative one, to make sure that these things work at the governance level really well? And these decisions are indeed democratized and not necessarily controlled by various governance whales who hold a bunch of maker or something like that. What, like, what are some of the points of inspiration or who your influence is when you're looking to governance on this, on this platform? In many ways, we're, we want that governance experiment to start to happen with, with the lab. We don't have all the answers, um, and we know that we're going to have to kind of collectively model our way towards the right systems. And with the lab itself, you know, the members are in full control to determine what the governance is related to the operation of it. 
we serve uh, on the open outside as a service provider to really support that. So that means if new tools are needed, uh, that means if new legal structures are needed, we'll endeavor and do our best to kind of get that in order and shape. But we get to play around with some really fun things, uh, which Preet didn't mention before, but I think is also important. You can delegate your votes if you're a member. So that could be to another member, and that may raise the concern that you're worried about, Zach, where it gets yeah. consolidated. But let's think about it the other way. I could delegate my voting rights as a member to an entire pool of people on the internet. Uh, I could say, look, I don't think I actually have the best decision here. I think that the internet is better collectively. Like crypto Twitter is actually better at making these decisions than I am. And I'm happy to let them you know, deploy my capital. And I think that that's pretty exciting. The fact that it's so easy to kind of pledge who can effectively be your proxy uh, and it's seamlessly managed via these smart contracts just opens up different ways to, to play around with things. I think the other thing that at least we have going for in the US, there's certain constraints. So the, the LAO itself is gonna be limited to up to 100 members. So it can't be too large off the bat. And, and number two, the nice thing is, is that since we can spin up as many DAOs as we want using the system, we kind of have funds that, are, that have the same operating system. Uh, so you can imagine that uh, helping to, to limit some of the consolidation of power, which I know we're, we're all a bit concerned about. But look, I think this is part of the experiments that we need to do. We're just bringing this together as really, as really just a catalyst. But we know that the members and uh, lots of other folks in crypto Twitter are going to figure out these governance issues. Uh, we always tend to do that, uh, even though if, if we muddle along a little bit and it, it feels a little bit painful. But I think that that's just only natural. I yeah. also just like to add to that to prevent like any sort of majority decision making. We've actually like limited the amount of units a certain um, member can actually purchase in the law. So you can only purchase up to nine units. Yeah, yeah. 9%. And that's in part due to a yeah. legal requirement. And, but also we think it's kind of the right decision. Right. Um, it, it shouldn't, we call it like the whale attack. You shouldn't have like one person that just controls it all. And I do think the other interesting thing about rage quitting is if you're not happy, you can pull your capital out. And what I imagine will happen over time as this ecosystem matures is DAOs will fold, right? It will be just as easy to set one up as it will be to kind of collapse one. A lot like with forking, right? People have the right to move with their feet. And I think that that's a, a pretty powerful lever to, to stop powerful groups from, uh, from taking too much control. All these questions of governance are super interesting. I'm, I'm glad you guys are thinking through them. It's fun to, to, to game out all this stuff for sure. I was immediately terrified at the prospect of maybe allocating my capital to crypto Twitter to decide things. But now that I think about it, crypto Twitter is usually ahead of the curve. So that might be pretty, I don't, I don't know. Would you guys do that? Yeah, like the last I mean, it, hive mind. Just, I would yeah. actually probably do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm all in on like Link Marine Twitter. I'm going to let them <laughs> figure it out for me. They got it right I, once. We're going to do it again. I mean, there are people that are making memes, so. I mean, if they're, yeah. if they're that good at meme making, then. They're not perfect, <laughs> but they, they, they're, I think directionally, I think you're right, Zach. Like, people get it right, right? Like, the mess is kind of, you know, for yeah. the most part, they, yeah. there's a swell around them, so. It's interesting to think about. So, hey, when you talk about the 100 members initially, at least, you know, what's the threshold for involvement? You know, if, if I'm a big money crypto investor and I want to get in, like, how much do I have to pony up to be one of the uh, 100 uh, launch members of the LAO? The minimum contribution is 120 Ether. It's all denominated in ETH. And the maximum is a little over 1,000 Ether. Our sense is, is that'll be about 20 to 50 people. You know, we've talked to lots of different folks, um, including lots of folks that have been around the Ethereum ecosystem from the beginning. 
Uh, so we're anticipating that there will be members. So it will be a great group of people, people that you know love this technology, that have been deep in it for years, that kind of know the trends where things are going. And I think on top of that, it's going to be a great experiment. It's really taking that first jump you know, off the ledge, uh, again, with, with DAOs shaking off our hangover from the DAO itself and, and kind of plowing forward to, to build out this ecosystem. I think one of my reporters quoted someone who coined the phrase PTS DAO. Uh, and I think it appeared in one of the early stories about you guys, you know, Ethereum is shaking off its PTS DAO. I don't know if it was a mean or somebody, but sounds like a mean. Sounds a little bit like a mean. So uh, it's interesting to see that that's, that's continuing as people uh, experiment with this stuff. Pretty, were you going to say something? No. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I'll just keep talking. So yeah, the Lao. So this is based on, so specifically with the Scout, which I think is cool because it's a great way for me to spy on cool projects that I may not know about. Specifically, that's, that was based on TCR Party. Is that right? Because yes. yeah. I remember playing around with that on Twitter, and that was fun. So basically, this bot on Twitter like, will grant me a certain amount of tokens, and I can sort of like vote which projects are cool or not. Is that the idea? Nominate yeah. what you think are cool. Nominate, yeah. challenge. I mean, TCR Party was awesome, but it kind of yeah. had a finite endpoint. End uh, but I think what's cool about how we're using the same mechanic, which I know lots of other folks were looking into, particularly a couple of years ago. I think this is a great use case for it, right? Spotting, identifying the best projects, um, and then hopefully they get funding. So, you know, it's not just creating a nice list of crypto Twitter celebrities, but actually creating a list that has um, meaningful impact on people's lives, right? You can help catalyze. And it's changing too, right? So yeah. there's always new cool I mean, projects that have emerged from like all of these hackathons and such. So if you see one and there's a Twitter account, just go ahead and nominate. Yeah, token curated registry. So that's good stuff. That's a good concept. All right, let's talk about some other stuff. So yeah, if you're just tuning in, hey, I'm Zach Seward. I'm from Coindesk. I'm joined by Pri and Aaron who are with OpenLaw. They're building the Lao. It launches uh, next week on the 28th, I believe. And we're talking about uh, building venture capital firms in the sky and related implications of said developments. I mean, how are things going? Like uh, you guys are a distributed team at the moment. Are you living by the decentralized ethos? Any tips and tricks for maintaining privacy, Aaron, as you uh, work online in today's surveilled environment? So what, like we can, we can veer to other topics here even. I mean, we've been a remote first team, which is, I think we've been fortunate in that regard. Um, the members of OpenLaw were scattered, you know, mostly across the US, Europe and parts of South America. So there's always been challenges. And I know lots of folks are grappling with that today, but I think on balance, it's a good thing. You know, slightly less meetings, a little bit more writing, some odd times a day when you may need to work. But, you know, I, I do think that it can be just as productive, if not more productive, once people kind of get the, the hang of it. I was fortunate enough, I did a lot with uh, the For Profit Sister Project to Wikipedia called Wikia, and it was all pretty much remote back then too, but on IRC channels and Skype. So you know, I'm actually encouraged that we're beginning to move a little bit away from offices and more towards uh, digital environments. So, um, yeah. But preserving privacy in those environments, that's a whole separate uh, live I know, podcast. That's a, that's, a, that's a big you, one. You, we can do, that's yeah. opening up a, a whole can of worms. So. We're doing, yeah, we're doing a lot of privacy coverage these days, looking at, you know, all sorts of stuff. Pri, what were you saying? No, just saying, I think Telegram is really important, I think, for certain conversations to be had. Telegram and Signal are my two um, over Slack or any other sort of platform if you're trying to have private conversation and correspondence. Not that I'm doing anything sketchy, but... Yeah, she's not doing anything sketchy, boss. Don't worry about it. Mm, <laughs> sure. Uh, I want to go back to the thing about um, content creators and maybe thinking about Laos and DAOs as a, a, as a way to fund content creation and put evil media corporations like us out of business. Would this one day sort of be like 
a Reddit, but with finance attached to it. I mean, that's something I think we're seeing on a number of blockchains. Uh, you know, there's like seemingly every blockchain has like some paywall experiment that's going on. And my colleague Lee recently did a nice big piece about that. I think it was you, Aaron, who were mentioning that you were mentioning sort of the content creator angle to, to how this could play out down the line. Say more about that. This is the vision, right? The vision is if there's a group of people online, let's say it is Reddit, you know, why can't they band together and, you know, not just talk about, let's say, politics, which lots of folks do on Twitter or memes, they can actually band that together, pull a little bit of capital and work together to build something even bigger and better. We're kind of caught in this moment where we build these groups of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, um, and then there's nothing more to do. And I think the next logical step is to get some money and begin to, to try to make an even bigger difference. And I don't know if that will take down big evil companies or media companies, but I do think it creates a different way for people to participate and interact with a brand. And we're happy to explore a CoinDesk DAO if, if you want to do that. Um, what about Zach DAO? Let's just do that. Let's Zach. just do it straight. Let's do it straight yeah. up. Zach DAO, what do you think? Cut out the middleman. Yeah. I mean, come on, seriously. What, what, what are you talking <laughs> about here? Come on now. Yeah. No, but I think, you know, I think it's a, the same thing. You know, maybe there's a way to, to get a pool of capital where people can be focused on a specific issue. There's a project called Marketing DAO, which I don't know if you've paid attention to, but it's not that far away from what a content DAO may look like, where people are pulling together capital to create a different type of content, right? Marketing content, um, which can be really useful. So maybe in the future, all these projects need some help on the content side, and they're going to enlist the help of a DAO that can help do that. Um, you know, maybe instead of having Patreon in the middle, it's really something that looks more like a DAO. Or you know some of these other passion economy type projects like why why actually have that middleman taking twenty to forty percent if we kind of know the mechanic works like why not just cut that person out and um, and have this protocol of people that are supporting it it's a headline again we in many ways I feel like the cost of putting together these organizations is dramatically dropping and whenever we see that like we saw this with media we see bigger organizations smaller organizations right. Uh, we see different platforms that aggregate that. I think the same thing is going to happen here. You know, now that we're able to bring people together, have them vote democratically, I think we're just going to start to see a whole bunch of, of weird things. Uh, like Saint Fame is going to, you know, be probably a footnote in a, a much broader and uh, bigger uh, story. Yeah, and I just kind of want to take a step back, kind of what you were saying about Reddit and this like traditional social media that we've seen in other media organizations. Like, I really like this idea, and we've seen Reddit recently explore blockchain, but I think what the internet currently, Web2, whatever you want to call it, has done well today is really congregating groups of people together around a certain subject or a certain interest. So like Reddit has subreddits and there's even now um, Twitter or channels and, and the like. So I think if you could append on financial transactions to these groups, you're looking at like something totally different in a way for these people to actually interact with each other beyond just talking about a certain subject. So I know, for example, the COVID-19 subreddit just completely ballooned, obviously, over the past few months, few weeks. You can imagine someone there um, in that subreddit, like spinning up a DAO and all of those that are in the subreddit who want to participate can participate in like raising funds to donate to some sort of coronavirus related issues. So I think just something like that um, is such an, a huge blend to what we have currently on the internet that I think we'll start seeing that emerge in a few years. I, I really like the idea of that as well, beyond in information sharing, but also sharing financial decisions. Speaking of information on the internet, uh, I was pointed to the chat feature of Zoom. Uh, shout out to everyone who's joined us in chat. There's 24 of us here in the Zoom. Uh, there's a bunch of other people watching on Twitter. So thanks for tagging along with us. 
Uh, we actually do have one that has been submitted here in Zoom, and it is uh, how will DAOs or LAOs protect the legal and uh, financial interests of investors? What are some of the investor protections that you guys are building into this product? One financial protection is that the DAO itself is organized as a legal entity in the U.S. So what we saw with uh, the initial DAO project was once it kind of went sideways, the question of who owed people what and what liabilities were was completely up in the air. And it led to the SEC weighing in and they issued a special report uh, and it had a whole bunch of different panels from a couple of years ago, I'm sure, including at consensus where people were weighing in and, and debating uh, what the, the responsibilities of the, the original DAO members were um, and whether or not they were going to get in hot water. Here, we're able to limit the liability of members to the extent provided by law because there's uh, legal backing behind it, just like other organizations. And uh, I think that's really important. That means if you join uh, the Laos member, there's less of a risk that you're putting your other assets at stake. And that means more professional folks can get involved. Uh, and secondarily, we've put together a complex set of organizational documents that manage other legal risks that are pretty common and things that lawyers and particularly fund lawyers have dealt with for a number of years. On the financial side, the key protection is what and, and Zach and, and I have been talking about over the, the past couple minutes, which is rage quitting. It's a huge protection of, of your money. You're not obligated if you participate in the Lao or any DAO that's using Malik smart contracts to deploy your capital unless you agree to it. You have the right to basically pull out your capital, any funds that you've contributed after an investment decision is made. So if you're unhappy with the direction, if you're unhappy that they're funding XYZ project, if you think that these folks are a whole bunch of jokers, that's completely fine. You can pull your capital out and you can pretty much just lose some gas costs, which are nominal, right? A couple of dollars. So that's, that's a pretty strong financial protection and one that really even today in traditional investment vehicles, folks don't have. Uh, so I think that that's um, pretty cool. Nice. I think this may have been covered, but I definitely want to get this uh, second question from another viewer in. Uh, what are the security measures you're taking to ensure compliance with regulatory entities? I think you touched on it a little bit, but I just wanted to make sure that that one was tossed your way as well. Yeah, so on the security side, you know, we took the the Malik V1 smart contracts, which were running a project called Malik DAO, which had a, a little over a million plus dollars collected into its common account, what developers call the a guild bank. Uh, we extended that so that we could uh, not only use that smart contract code to collect funds and allocate that out to a party, but to actually get an investment or something back in exchange for the capital that's provided. Um, and the smart contracts have all been audited uh, by consensus diligence. Um, and we've also circulated it to other you know, folks that are able to evaluate the security of the underlying smart contracts. I think the real headline and why we actually moved in this direction is those smart contracts are a lot simpler than what we saw with the DAO. And the way we've constructed them with the mean and others is so generic that we may be at a point where we have what's effectively like an ERC-20 standard for organizations. So like what we saw with the ERC-20 tokens, once they became standardized, all these projects started playing around with them. Our sense is that the Moloch B2 smart contracts are in a similar position. So if you're technical and you want to start playing around with DAOs, they're a really, really great place to start. And you can really get one up and running super fast. Um, and that, that's pretty cool. So it's a very powerful, I think, you know, we talked about uh, financial Lego blocks in the, you know, DeFi ecosystem. Uh, at OpenLaw, we view ourselves as building legal Lego blocks. Uh, well, these are organizational Lego blocks, right? Just uh, circuits that are running on Ethereum that help you uh, create an organization. I have a question from William Gomez. It's actually a really interesting question. 
Can you take the Lao functionality and implement it in existing DAO structures? For example, Decentraland has a fund of 220 million mana. Perhaps using the Lao structure, the fund can be invested in projects that can potentially grow the initial fund via profits, or I guess could be invested in other sort of infrastructural assets for that decentralized VR platform. Uh, is there a way to sort of port the Lao stuff onto existing DAOs? Yeah, or to take, let's say, an existing grant program and turn it into a DAO. And we think that that's really, really important. Uh, so what we were talking about before in kind of our roadmap and our vision of where we see things are going to go, we see Bitcoin DAOs, we see Chainlink DAOs, we see, I guess, Decentraland DAOs. I think anywhere in the Ethereum ecosystem today where we see some sort of grant program that's built on top of a protocol or a really cool project, we think that those are fantastic, but it's much, much more powerful to have a mechanism that can make investments for profit. We just know that there's not many better levers that humans have, exist, that have created uh, in order to incentivize innovation. So we think that that's critically important. William, if you know anybody at Decentraland that wants to talk about that, please hit us up. We'd be happy to do that. We've actually been talking to a lot of projects about that and hopefully can make some interesting announcements with that regard uh, shortly. I guess that's the key distinction that I've failed to articulate here is that, you know, instead of just being Ethereum Foundation DAO, this is a for-profit mechanism that guarantees returns for U.S. accredited investors and investors all around the world. So that's, that's like probably the really interesting thing that should probably be stressed rather than just, you know, a bunch of people with lots of Ethereum, you know, making grants to people who are going to build up things that would potentially be funded elsewhere. The innovation here is this is a for-profit venture. Oh, it looks like uh, William responded um, and it looks like he's going to be in touch with you guys soon. So fantastic. We make dreams come true here on Coindesk Live. Well done, everybody. So the scope of the things that you, uh, well, I guess it's all perspective, right? Because you don't know who the members of this, of this Lao are yet. But the scope of the things that you aim to fund, is it just going to be Ethereum stuff? Or is it going to be all sorts of crazy things that are not even blockchain related and could have any number of applications? I'll, I'll toss that to Pre. Uh, what's sort of the thinking about the scope of this project, at least initially? Yeah, so we've kind of tried to keep it pretty open at this point. We really want, we've you know, iterated here, we really want to make sure that the members have an opportunity to really set their investment thesis to the extent they want, but we have kept it broad enough to have some level of focus. So this Lao, um, our first Lao here, is going to invest in projects in the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, as Aaron mentioned, uh, we could, you know, do this for Chainlink and Bitcoin and other protocols as well. So yeah, that, that's kind of, it's going to be very open-ended for now, but who knows? I mean, again, like the members themselves may decide to narrow it by having only DeFi Ethereum projects, for example. So we, again, really want to keep it open. They may not even invest in projects. Maybe they find some other way to generate a profit, you know, providing right. liquidity on Uniswap or a whole host of other things. So super wide open. I think that's important. You know, I think we learned with like Twitter and a whole bunch of other platforms, just not doing too much thinking off of that. Uh, just enough is kind of the right tone. And that's the balance we're trying to make. We're going to start wrapping up in about five minutes, but I have a really cool question from uh, Isaac M. I'll read it to you for everyone's uh, viewing enjoyment. What does the onboarding process look like for outside blockchain ecosystems that don't have this legal framework to protect their DAO funding mechanisms, but want to use yours? Does the Lao take over management of these outside funding pools, or does it work to improve the governing models for the already existing DAO needing the protections and self-sufficiencies the Lao provides? So I take it these are DAOs that are organized on other blockchains outside of Ethereum, if I'm, if I'm reading between the lines there? 
but I will, I will toss that to you, uh, Aaron and Pri, and, and see what you think. Yeah, I mean, I think it's maybe too soon to tell, but you know, our framework, including the legal documents, that's all going to be opened up after the launch. And so, you know, we're hoping that this can incentivize the building of an ecosystem of these organizations that are all working together. It's part of the same network approach. So I don't know if takeover feels a little bit too aggressive, but I imagine that, and we're aiming to, uh, and hope that what we're doing will influence and, and help shape and help grow and mature this important ecosystem. So I think that that's kind of how we, we view it. Got it. And we can like swap different tokens now on different blockchains too. So that'd be kind of cool if you can kind of bridge a couple blockchains for some of these DAOs. So these like the yeah. wrapped like Bitcoin projects on Tezos and various other things yeah. going on that you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, like TBTC. Yeah. 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 Kind of, that, 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 I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I feel like there's going to be a few blockchains out there. So there should be a Bitcoin DAO. I mean, there's not enough Bitcoin ecosystem development at this point, but so many folks are so passionate about Bitcoin. And I think we can make peace through commerce between the competing tribes. I was going to say, that's, that is a major olive branch right there. That, that's fat. Yeah. I mean, there's, only, there's so few uh, startups that, you know, that sponsor devs. I mean, they're, like, there's like eight or 10, you know, like Bitcoin startups that sponsor development as it relates to that it's stuff. Like, so it's like, it's interesting. Yeah. I'm being told that we need to wrap it up. It's 4.55 here on the East Coast. And I'm just going to pitch to our uh, upcoming event next month for a minute, and then I'm going to say goodbye to our lovely guests. Um, Consensus Distributed is our first uh, virtual version of, you know, the big tent convention that we do every year. Uh, It's May 11th through 15th as normal. Uh, It exists online. And this has been like a great trial run in some respects for the virtual format at our big main stage event coming up in May. And Pre and Aaron are coming back to be a part of that. So that's very cool. I'm Zach. There's Pre, there's Aaron, there's Jan over there. I want to thank you all for joining us this afternoon and uh, wish you all well in these trying times, as the emails say. All right. Well, thanks so much, Pre and Aaron. Um, Have a great day. And I'll I'll talk to you both soon. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Excited for the launch. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye, all.